Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode 14 of This Is Our Epping Podcast, a Red Sox show with your co-hosts, John McAdam and Steve Lyons. And we're pleased for episode 14 to be joined by special guests today, and that's Red Sox pitching coach Dave Bush, who's kind enough to take some time uh, out of his day in Detroit as the Red Sox are in the middle of a series with the Tigers. Dave, thanks for joining us. No problem. Great to be on here. Um, Dave, let's talk about uh, uh, the pitching staff in the 2021 season. And the thing that uh, immediately kind of jumps out at me is how remarkably durable and healthy your rotation has remained throughout the first two-thirds of the season. In fact, we are on the cusp of officially being two-thirds of the way through after the first game in Detroit. And of those first 107 games, 103 have been started by your big five, your five starters in the rotation with four fill-in starts from Tanner Houck. That that is virtually unprecedented in today's game. Uh, How has that been achieved? Well, a lot of of it's just because of the work the players have put in. Uh, Starting with spring training, they came in in shape. They've worked really hard throughout the year. They've done a really good job of doing their maintenance work of getting in the trainer's room, of working in the weight room. Uh, we've tried to be as smart as we can with our usage in the game. You know, sometimes there, there can be a tendency to try to ride guys a little bit longer than you should, but we've, we've been disciplined um, with, you know, keeping their pitch counts under control, giving them extra rest whenever we can, whenever there's an off day. Um, and look, for the most part, they perform too. And, you know, sometimes staying in the rotation is, is about health, but also performance. And I know we've had some dips here and there and, and a little bit lately, but by and large, they've stayed healthy. They've performed. They've pitched well. Um, they've put in a lot of work, and that's why we've gotten to this point. Yeah, Dave, absolutely. You don't keep running a guy back out there if he's not getting the job done. But right. it can be a little bit of a double-edged sword with all the guys that have taken the ball every fifth day and in certain cases every sixth day. Um, you do have guys there with a history of injury, injury problems, guys like Pavetta, Avaldi, Garrett Richards. Is that a worry moving into the second half? Well, I, I would say it's always a concern when you're looking at starting pitching just because injuries crop up. I mean, one of the reasons it's so rare to see this is because guys get hurt, even unexpectedly. Sometimes guys are, are cruising along for months on end and then an injury pops up unexpectedly. But, um, you know, for, for a good part of the year when, when Tanner was hurt in the minor leagues, we didn't have a lot of options behind him. So the fact that they stayed healthy through that stretch was so critically important for us to be where we are right now. And now that Tanner's back and Chris is back, we have, or Chris Hill will be coming back soon, um, we have a little bit more of a cushion. And I think that's given people some comfort as we go forward that if something does pop up, then we have some other guys we can put in there and be, uh, be really confident with. 
Yeah, Dave, you pointed out the the injuries uh, down at AAA, not only to Tanner Houck, but probably uh, the other pitching prospect who was probably closest to contributing at the big league level, Connor Siebold, also down with some elbow inflammation for a while. He is now healthy again and available to you as a depth piece. You, you got through that stretch without them. But as you noted, uh, of late, the rotation's taken some hits uh, the last couple of times through uh, through the rotation, the last few turns. Uh, I, I know it's probably a different issue for all five guys, and some have performed more consistently than others. But in general, what do you see as the reasons behind some recent struggles for the five guys? Well, um, I mean, sometimes it, it's sometimes it just goes in cycles. We had a, a dip earlier this year where we had you know four or five starts in a row that weren't very good. Um, but we, we pulled out of it. We have an offense that scores enough runs that we can still win games. We don't pitch well. And that's a big part of it. Our bullpen has been fantastic all year and they picked us up in some of those games where starters didn't go very deep. We got, you know, some cases up to up to eight innings of, of really good pitching out of the bullpen. Um, so we found a way to get it done. You know, it hasn't always been a one single formula, but we found a way to get it done. Um, and also we're, we're in a point this year and this year is so unique. Um, because of the shortened 2020 season where all the guys are well past their innings totals from last year. And we're in an area where we, we don't totally know how they're going to respond. Uh, in some cases like Eddie, where he didn't pitch at all last year, this is a huge jump for other guys like Nate Martin that still threw a fair number of innings last year where, you know, we're a little bit past it, but not too far past it. Um, but we're trying to monitor all those things right now. And, and I don't know what the answer is. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but, that's part of the reason we've given them extra rest when we, when we can. It's part of the reason we've put Tanner in there a couple of times recently to try to give them an extra day here and there and, and uh, allow a little more time for recovery. Um, but really, look, we, we got a, a 50 some odd game sprint to the end here. And, and now we're certainly at the point where every game counts and, and counts a lot. So we're going to go out there and try to win every game. If that means shorter starts for some guys, if that means longer starts, if that means an extra day. It's going to be whatever we can do to try to win as many games as we can between now and the end of the year. Dave, we don't have time to get into specifics with every pitcher, but I did have a, a question about Erod. I mean, obviously, we knew that it, it, he'd be a different guy coming off of the health issues that he had last season. But what are you seeing? Because he is a different guy on the mound this year than he has been in the past. What do you see specifically? Well, it, it's, it's frustrating for him, especially, and also for us, because his stuff is still good. You know, we, we can look at pitch data and we have a lot of different ways of measuring what a guy's doing on the mound. And he's done a lot of things really well. His velo has been solid. His off-speed pitches have been good. Um, he made a change a month or so ago to try to get some velo off of his changeup, and it's worked very well lately. Uh, but in the end, the results are not there the, the way that he wants or that we want. Um, and that's the frustrating part is, you know, he's working hard. We're working hard trying to figure out exactly what he can do to get better. Um, but I think just going out there with the confidence that he's had in the past, that's a big part for him is, you know, sometimes when, when results aren't there, we can get frustrated and our confidence can sag a little bit. Just encouraging him to go out there and, and reminding him that he's still the same guy. He still has the same stuff. He's still a very good major league pitcher. He can still lead a big league pitching staff. Um, so he goes out there with the confidence to know that, that he's still that guy. And, and that's a big part. So there's no substantive change right now for him. It's just continuing to work and, and fine-tuning his command a little bit. You know, he's, he's, he's been working really hard. It's been a tough year for him. You know, it's been a tough couple of years, really. Uh, but the stuff is still there. He's still really good. He's going to be really good. And, and we're going to lean on him quite a bit here till the end.
Dave, we're about a month into MLB's uh, enhanced crackdown on foreign substances after <laughs> baseball, uh, which has certainly forced some changes for pitchers throughout the game. And I think on your staff, most obviously, Garrett Richards is the guy that's, uh, that's been most impacted. Uh, he, he spoke early in the process about having to relearn how to throw the baseball and really seemed thrown by the whole thing. Um, where are we in terms of your guys a month in and the adjustments they've had to make because of that? Well, Garrett was, was certainly the most bothered by it and the most vocal about it. Uh, you know, it, it took him a couple of weeks to kind of get around to this is the way the game is, you know, and wh whether we like it or not, this is a change that was happening and the game was changing a little bit. He was going to have to change with it. So I think we'll, once he got over that frustration and, and the, the, the difficulty of that happening in the middle of the year, he committed to make some changes and he's done, he's done a, a, probably a lot more than people realize. You know, he started throwing a change up. Uh, he's been mixing his pitches differently. Uh, you know, he's been, been learning how kind of to, to feel the ball differently. And, and it sounds, sounds simple, but man, like when the ball doesn't feel the same way in your hands, it, it can be hard to be confident in pitching. And, and he's made the adjustment and making sure the ball feels the way he wants in his hand. Um, but I think the pitch mix is probably the biggest thing for him that his willingness to try to throw a change up and to throw a pretty good one and a pretty useful one. Um, that's not an easy thing to add in the middle of the year. And really for him, the first time in his career, uh, you know, it's, it's um, for a guy like him that, that cuts his fastball and throws a slider and a curveball where he's always working on the outside of the ball to throw a change up. You have to work on the inside of the ball and kind of roll your hand and pronate your hand on the inside. Like I said, that's not a simple thing to do, and there's a lot of guys that, that just can't do it or certainly wouldn't be able to do it mid-stride and, and during a big league season. Uh, but he committed to it. He knows he has to make some changes. He wants to stay in the big leagues. He wants to be a good pitcher, and if he's going to do that, he had to commit to these changes, and he really did, and he's put a ton of work in on the side. And I know the results have not quite been there on the, on the mound, but um, in the last couple of starts, he, he's had more good than bad. He got to step in the right direction. He feels a lot more confident with it. Uh, so I'm excited to see him go out and pitch and, and keep performing the way he can. Dave, I think that's such an excellent point to bring up that people don't think about is that most pitches you throw, unless you're talking about a four seamer, you are talking about working on the outside of the ball. And uh, that's why a changeup is so hard to master and control because you're on the other side and you just don't do it that often. You know, I hope that we don't, uh, we didn't bury the lead here, but we, I think we all want to know when we're going to see your biggest trade acquisition, Chris Sale, when's he taking the mound? Um, hopefully soon. I, I think he's got one more start this weekend with Worcester. Um, you know, I guess the way I'm looking at it is this would be like his last spring training start. And then we can roll into the year. It's obviously it's, it's August now, not April, but um, I think he's got one more start. And then if all that goes well, I think we'll see him shortly after that. Um, you know, the exact day we're, we're giving him a couple extra days in his minor league starts right now, just to make sure he recovers fully from the longer outings. Uh, but we're close. He's close. He feels great. He's had uh, you know, long enough outings in minor leagues now where he's had to work through a long inning. He's had to come back out. You know, he got five innings and in, in 80 or 85 pitches, something like that, last time out. So he's checking off all the boxes. Um, he's ready to compete. I think that that's probably what he misses the most is just being out there competing and, and getting guys out. You know, he's a, he's a tough dude. He's, he's got that aggression and that competitiveness that makes him great. And he needs an outlet for it. And that's coming soon. Um, so I don't have an exact date yet, but but it's it's soon. He's got at least one more start here. And then if all goes well, I think we'll see him with us shortly. Dave, as you well know, um, because you've got some guys who have been through 
Tommy John surgery on your staff, and in the case of Nathan Evaldi, someone who's been through it twice. Um, the, the, uh, it, it, you have to guard against expectations with, with Sale, both what he expects from himself and maybe what others expect, because a number of guys who come back from Tommy John, once they're kind of through the woods, look back and say, you know, I really didn't feel myself until that second season where I had a whole regular off season to, to train and build up and, and get back to who I was. Uh, do, do you have to be careful in what you expect from sale or is he, uh, you know, so good a pitcher that you think this is going to look like prime Chris sale pretty quickly? Well, his expectations are always the highest. If we'd asked him, he would have been on a big league mound two months ago. Um, so, you know, for, for the last year and a half, we've been, we've been making sure that, that in some ways we protect him from himself um, because he is so competitive and he's so tough. You know, he wanted to be out there a while ago, but we had a plan in place and we've tried to follow as best we can. As with all Tommy John recoveries, there's some ups and downs. Um, he had more of his early on in the process. We had some other other issues with his body where he had to take time off from throwing. Um, so a lot of his hiccups happened early. And then you know, once he got into his throwing program, um, his elbows responded great. He's been feeling good. Um, the command has been pretty good, probably not perfect, but pretty good. So I, like I said, he's ready to go. Mentally, he's definitely ready to go. Physically, you know, that's, that's where our responsibility comes in as staff members to make sure that we're following the program we put in place. Um, that our expectations are reasonable and that we can let him go out and compete because I know he's going to compete. I'm, I'm not at all worried about that. He's going to do everything he can to win. Um, and not, we want him to pitch and pitch well, and I know he's going to be good. There's no question about that. Um, like I said, it's not going to be perfect. He's not going to go out there and throw a shutout every time. That's not reasonable for anyone in any circumstance. But the energy he brings and the attitude and the competitiveness and the skill, it's going to be a boost for us. There's no doubt about that. As always, he is. You know, there wasn't a big splash made at the trading deadline to get Schwarber and a couple guys to help you in the bullpen. Tell us a little bit about how those guys will be used. Well, we're we're just you know we're just trying to rack up as many arms as we can um, in in the bullpen. It's as we get later in the year like this and get into the playoffs, the extra bullpen arms are always helpful. I mean, sure, we, we'd all love a starter to go out there and throw six or seven scoreless innings, but the reality is in today's game, especially late year and in playoffs. It's a battle of bullpens. It's who can put up zeros late in the game. So just by picking up a couple extra arms out there, we're putting ourselves in a position that if we need shutdown innings and we need multiple shutdown innings in the game, we got guys we can call on day after day uh, to do it. So that's that's how we're trying to line things up. And, you know, our, as we talked earlier, our starters have been horses all year round. So we're going to keep riding them as long as we can. And um, in these games, if it's five innings, six innings, four innings, whatever we need, whatever the game dictates, we want to make sure we got the guys in the pen that we can call on and, and trust them the rest of the way. Lastly, Dave, I, I wonder, uh, you know, where you, you're in a position or soon will be in a position where you have that sort of embarrassment of riches, not only your five healthy starters, but sale returning and Tanner Houck available <laughs> to kind of slide in and, and perform either as a piggyback guy in the bullpen or a spot starter. Uh, with seven available starters, how do you make that work? Do you go to a six-man for a while? Do you have help out of the bullpen? What are the plans for, for when sale comes back? I'm not asking for a date, but how do you how do you best utilize all your resources? Well, um, <laughs> coming out of the All-Star break, 
we had a rotation plan in place. We we're going to play 18 straight games. We lined up all our guys. We had the order we wanted and everything. And then our first game after the break got canceled for a COVID outbreak. So then we made a new rotation plan and we got to Buffalo and our second game there got rained out. And then we made another rotation plan and we got back home. We had to rain out at home. So we're already on our third or fourth version of, of a rotation order just in the last two weeks. Um, so I think what, what we stopped doing is thinking all that far ahead, quite honestly, is, is we're trying to get Chris back and, and find a game where he's going to pitch. And then, look, if we end up in a spot where we have more starters and available spaces, that's a nice problem to have. Um, but in all likelihood, between now and then, there's going to be a rainout or an injury or a game that dictates that we got to shuffle things around. And that's the benefit we have with the extra starters now is that we have people we can, we can shuffle around and we can move around. You know, we're going to have Tanner pitch and doubleheader uh, in Toronto this weekend, which is like, again, a great problem to have. We got doubleheader and we're going to throw two quality starters out there for both games. Um, so I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. There, there's still enough time between now and then that things can happen. Um, and again, like we're trying to win as many games as we can between now and the end of the year. And the players know that and they're committed to it. And, and all of us are committed to it also. So whatever the rotation looks like, if that means we go six man, if that means we piggyback, if that means we got to shuffle guys around, they all get it, man. We're all on the same page. We're, we're trying to get to the playoffs and trying to win as many games. And you know, I'd rather have too many starters than not enough. That's probably the best way to put it. If we have extra starters, that's a really nice problem, and we'll find a way to make it work. Probably a lot of your um, uh, fellow pitching coaches around the major leagues would be envious of being in that position of – having some choices to make and maybe too many guys to fill too few slots. Um, yep, Dave you're, Bush, you're right. pitching coach of the Boston Red Sox, has been kind enough to join us on episode 14 of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show. Dave, you know you have to get to the ballpark and get to work. We appreciate you taking some time. Thanks for joining us today. As always, guys, no problem. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Dave Bush, Red Sox pitching coach, joins us today. And uh, uh, Steve, it's... Uh, you know, it, it, it is, as Abe said, a nice problem to have, particularly at a time when um, the, the rotation um, has maybe hit a wall a little bit here uh, in the summer, as often happens. Um, what do you uh, what, what are your observations about what you've seen from the pitching uh, side of things the last couple of well, I would say I, I think a little fatigue, uh, as might have set in, and maybe you know stretching these guys out. If you go to that six-man rotation and keep that going, and you know the the rainouts, I think maybe might have helped a little bit by pushing guys back. But eventually, you're going to have to play those games, and so someone's going to have to jump into a, a starting rotation spot maybe a day earlier than they thought they were going to have to. But I, I think more than anything, that's what you're seeing. But uh, hopefully they can counteract it with the number of arms that they can throw out there. And since we did our last episode, uh, the trading deadline has come and gone. The Red Sox had one significant acquisition and a couple of smaller ones. Uh, let's talk about the significant one. Um, although he is not ready to contribute yet because of an injury, the expectation is, is that Al Schwarber, uh, we'll probably be back with the Red Sox somewhere in the next uh, maybe 10 days or so as he overcomes a pretty serious hamstring strain. I like this move a lot uh, from an offensive standpoint. You're getting an on-base guy, a guy with power, another lefty bat to balance out the lineup. What I'm not quite sure of, Steve, is how to fit him into the existing lineup. 
Um, you know, he would probably best serve the Red Sox as a DH, but the Red Sox are in pretty good shape there with Biddy Martinez. So what are your thoughts on Schwarber uh, being obtained and how to best use him in the final two months here? Well, yeah, that, that's a big question, Mark. And I like all the things you said before, you know, a left-handed bat, the guy can hit the ball out of the yard, he gets on base. All that stuff is, is excellent. You know, his question marks are always defensively. And, you know, let's face it, you call it like you see it. He's not very good uh, in the outfield. And if you're talking about playing left field, you and I have talked about this a lot. You know, the green monster in left field, everyone talks about how difficult it is to play. It's not that difficult to play if you put the time in and put the work in and go out there and see how balls bounce off the wall. Um, but it's still a factor out there. It's a, it's, it's a little more daunting as to where to play when you're playing left field at Fenway, not how to play it. And, you know, he, and then, so your other option, if you DH him, you put JD out there and JD's subpar as well. You know, we, we all know the, the defensive struggles of the two guys that we're talking about here. And, and, as this season winds down and gets into the playoff mode, you know, one error, one bad play, one misplay in a situation where maybe you have a guy out of position can really, you know, make a huge impact on the season. And this team has played poorly defensively at times. Alex Cora hates it when, when that happens because he's a fundamental guy, but you know, it's hard to change the stripes of a guy you know, who's been in the big leagues, you know, he's not all of a sudden going to become a great defensive player. Yeah. And the other option of course, is to get him some work at first base. That is an area, a position specifically where the Red Sox have gotten very little production. I think last I checked, they were 28th or 29th out of 30 major league teams in terms of OPS at first base. Um, so there is uh, an opening at first if Schwarber, can on the fly learn how to play there well enough for the final two months. What are, as a guy who moved all over the field, Steve, what are the challenges of getting comfortable at first base when you haven't played there professionally? A lot more than you think. And if that's what they're thinking, if there's a possibility of that, I know he's injured right now, but you can certainly start working with him uh, footwork issues, you know, philosophy issues, you know, just playing on the other side of the, of the field. You know, that's always a big thing. Everyone thinks first base is so easy to play. And, you know, your first baseman can save your infield so many errors. If you can pick the ball at first, if he's agile over there, if he can stretch a little bit to try to steal an out, um, you know, all these things come into play. One of the things that worried me the most when I was playing first base is how far you play away from the bag. And because you feel like you might be 20, 30 feet away from the bag at times, and you feel like you're never going to get over there to first base by the time the guy throws you the ball. You know, if you had a, a hot smash to the third baseman, you got to get to first base uh, before that guy throws the ball at you or else he's throwing, you're on the run. It, you know, that's one of the, the, the biggest, you know, kind of anxiety filled moments that you have as a first baseman feeling like you won't get there in time. And you, generally you do but it's, it's something to get over. It's something that you need experience at. And there's going to be so many things that will come up in a game that he's never felt or seen before. That is just not as easy as going over there. Most people say, Oh, just go over there. All you do is catch the ball. Well, yeah, not, not quite like that. I guess if, if, you know, if effort and attitude mean anything, Schwarber spoke to reporters over the weekend in, 
in uh, in Tampa, where he joined the Red Sox, and sounded very eager to tackle whatever is necessary to become at least competent over there in, in the short term. And, you know, it, it would seem that a, a willingness to do it and an eagerness to learn is uh, as big a hurdle as anything. If, if, if you're kind of like, eh, I guess I'll try, or, well, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, Schwarber was really kind of enthusiastic. That seems like it's probably half the battle here. Yeah, and I think the blessing is that they do have time to work with him while he's injured here, and they will. There's no question. They're going to run him out there. You know, they can figure out what he can actually do physically, um, but more they'll they'll walk him through situations, and, you know, they'll teach him footwork, and they'll ask him to work on that on his own and, and all those other aspects that go over there at first. But you're right. I mean, uh, if you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it, and you're not going to be very good at it. Um, and I think, you know, there's no question he's, he's a better athlete than I think people give him credit for. I mean, his, his, his deficiencies in the outfield didn't really have a whole lot to do with his athleticism. Uh, you know, it might've been judgment or, or, you know, inability to pick up the ball off the bat in time, those kind of things that require repetition. But I can also say this about the Red Sox organization, and I'm going to bash them here a little bit. They've been known to take guys and throw them into positions that they've never played before uh, with no problems. And sometimes it's, all, <laughs> this is a very strong word, but it's almost abusive. I mean, you can't just take guys and throw them into position. You know, they did it. Uh, they, they did it with Mookie Betts he became an all-star gold glove, right fielder from a second baseman. Uh, they, you know, they did it with Brock Holt. They, you know, Brock Holt took a few ground balls at first base, first time in his life. He was playing there that afternoon. That's, it's a very risky thing to do to a player. Uh, and you know me, I'm not one of those guys that says, oh, you know, he can only play left field. I'm not that guy, but you know, the game's a little tougher than people give it credit for sometimes. And you can't just throw a guy into a position and say, go over there and do it. Yeah. And it does seem like they are giving him uh, this, you know, utilizing this downtime to at least get him somewhat acclimated over there. Whether you can reach that level of proficiency in a week or a week and a half remains to be seen. Uh, But at least there seems to be the recognition that, uh, you know, to to give this guy a fair shot, you got to give him a a little bit of time. Um, Yeah. And and this time will really help. I think everyone would love to see him on the field. But at the same time, you know, if, if that's the move they want to make and put him over at first base, this time is so valuable while he doesn't have to go out there and do it in real time. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked about what we did do, Steve, and that is get Schwarber along with uh, Hansel Robles and Austin Davis in the bullpen, two minor acquisitions uh, in the bullpen. Um, let's talk quickly as we wrap up about what they didn't do. Disappointed that they didn't. Um, either get a more traditional first baseman or add to the rotation? A little bit, you know, and, you know, everybody, you and I included right now, love to be the general manager when that job isn't sitting in our lap. You know, trades are hard to make. You know, you, a lot of times you're trading contracts and not guys. Um, you know, uh, what your need is is from a team who's not willing to part with the guy that you want. It's, it's an extremely difficult process to put a deal together. And, you know, we saw some, I mean, this was one of the most fast and furious trading deadlines of all time with some, 
you know, what, 14 guys that have won a World Series got traded. Uh, you know, something like 39 or 40 All-Stars got traded. You know, that's, that's an amazing amount of really good players that, that got bounced around this year. I always used to say the traded deadline isn't any good because you're getting a guy who's overpaid and underperforming. That's why that team wants to get rid of them. But that wasn't the case this year. Uh, the Scherzer deal was amazing. The Dodgers just keep getting better. Uh, some of the big names that, that got moved, unfortunately, none of them came to the Red Sox. And, uh, you know, I think Heim Bloom and the rest of the organizations, they feel pretty good about what they have already. And with Sale coming back was kind of the joke I made to Dave Bush, you know, your, your trade deadline acquisition, Chris Sale, uh, you know, he, he's as good as anybody you're going to get. Yeah, I, I think time will tell. We'll be able to uh, maybe second guess Heim Bloom in October and look back and, and wonder, you know, were, were they too, uh, were they not bold enough? You know, did they not uh, go that extra mile to maybe get another arm to augment the rotation? I think Scherzer was always something of a long shot based on his 10-5 rights, the amount of quality teams like the Padres and Dodgers that were motivated to get him. I understand that not working out. Um, and he, he said he wanted to go to the West Coast in the right, National right. League. Kind of hard yeah. when you play in Boston. Yeah, and, and you know, as a 10-5 guy, he had some control over that because he could veto a deal. So we never know, uh, and we probably will never know, uh, whether it became uh, viable for the Red Sox and then he was just more intent on going elsewhere. But um, we are where we are. And I, uh, I, I want to, uh, before we wrap up, Steve, get to – this week in Steve Lyons' history, um, oh. you, you may have noticed that for a few innings last week, Bobby Dahlbeck slid over from third base to shortstop. The Red Sox were losing in a blowout game 13-1 to to Toronto. Guys were all kinds of weird positions. You had Christian Vasquez at third base for a while, Kevin Ploiecki at first, and then pitching. And Bobby Dahlbeck, who is about 6'5", moved over to shortstop. And that made him the tallest shortstop ever to play the position in Red Sox history, elbowing aside six players at 6'3", including one Steve Lyons. <laughs> and, and now the it's rest It's amazing of the how many times your name comes up, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in an either ignominious fashion or, or otherwise. Uh, when, when we're doing this show... Um, you know, there you were as one of the six tallest shortstops to play the position for the Red Sox until Bobby Dahlbeck shoved you out of the record. Wow. You know, I mean, Bobby, Bobby Dahlbeck will be shoving me out of a lot more records. I can tell you that. I mean, you know, I think he's going to end up being a pretty darn good player. Probably won't be playing shortstop a whole heck of a lot, though. No, I, I, I don't think so. Uh, I appreciate the mention, though. And the funny thing about that game, too, was, uh, you know, they had, they had three catchers in the game all at the same time. Right, right. That's a, that may have been another first. Yeah. Uh, always interesting with the Red Sox, as, as we know. That's going to wrap up episode 14 for the week. We want to thank, again, our special guest, Dave Bush, Red Sox pitching coach, for joining us. Steve, thank you, as always, for joining us. And we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.